All right, get ready, y'all. It's time for the Sacred Fire Liberty edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show this uh, Thursday, the 14th of July, 2022. Uh, we've got, of course, Jonathan E. Moore to kick it off, and we've got a lot to discuss, as always, uh, including the uh, bumbling and fumbling uh, Biden speeches make it more and more obvious that he's not in control of his own faculties, much of those of the United States included. Uh, from there, we've got for the first time ever on the Robert Scott Bell Show, one of the original frontline doctors, uh, Dr. Simone Gold, who was recently sentenced to 60 days for uh, participating in the uh, January 6th event. Well, we're going to hear from her in her own words, her perspectives, what she's been through, what does she see for the future, how she doing. So that's a fascinating journey today. I hope you'll tell your friends, come on over to robertscottbell.com slash listen, join us in the chat room, and we'll get this healing party started right about now. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Majority writes, and I quote, women, I'm just a quote now from the, the majority. Women are not without electoral or political power. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote. Repeat the line. Um. End of quote, repeat the line. Super Don, how often have I done that over the years where you you feed me a, a line and you tell me how to say it or say it, but I'm not supposed to say it, but I say it anyway. I just don't see that this this man's brain is functioning properly, Super D, and that's not about a partisan thing. It's just like an objective uh, overview here as we start the show. Are you muted out? I can't hear you. I guess if it's on the teleprompter, he'll read it. Apparently, yeah. I guess you know he doesn't well, take instruction well on on a teleprompter. Well, here's here's a guy that, that needs no teleprompter. Our, end of our quote. Buddy, repeat the line. End of quote. Repeat the line. <laughs> our buddy, our pal, constitutional attorney, champion as he is for health, freedom, and healing, liberty, Jonathan E. Moore. Welcome, my friend. Well, Robert, I'm afraid that uh, it's so bad that he just he doesn't recognize who his wife is. He thinks that. His wife is the president or that uh, Kamala Harris is the president. He, he really has these lapses that are profound. And the problem is that they seem to become becoming more frequent, such that every time he has a mic before him, even with the teleprompter, he makes mistakes. If you can't read a teleprompter mm -hmm. and, and know the cues that are designed to help you uh, are different from the text that is designed to be communicated to the public. You're in pretty bad shape. Obviously, he's beyond the point of being able to speak extemporaneously in a coherent manner. So now everything is scripted. Even when he was sitting down recently with another head of state, I noticed that he kept his head down because he was reading a script uh, and he couldn't even ad lib and they didn't trust him to have a, a conversation with another head of state because they're so fearful of what he might say. This is horrible. I mean, this is a situation that truly is a, uh, a crisis uh, and uh, they are feeling it inside the White House. His own aides, I think, are petrified. We see huge numbers of them leaving and you couldn't blame them for doing that. And so he ends up with people who are just panic-stricken, trying to keep him on script. But even with that, <laughs> he, he can't do it. So, so he's just he's totally disabled, really, in many respects. So, the, you know, I've, 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 
I'm speaking like Biden. I've concerned myself with this thought, and I brought it up before, that if Biden is so obviously incapacitated and capable of conducting whatever he needs to do in the office of the presidency, what's sitting behind him is even worse, is if that could be said. And I've just said it. Yeah, well, I think it really is a situation where the far left that he's brought into his administration and that is populated from everyone, from Ron Klain, his chief of staff, through uh, all of the agencies and, and the departments, these people are largely so out of touch with America, so out of touch with the needs and interests of the American people, and they're wedded to this Marxist agenda, and they have a puppet in Biden who is, he's already sold his soul to the socialists. He understands that to be necessary for his political survival, but he doesn't have the, 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 the power of cognitive ability sufficient for him to see the reality out there, which is that his house is burning. The American people are rejecting him. They are rejecting socialism and they do not want him to implement his key policies. Yet he dogmatically insists on those key policies because he's like the emperor in ancient China. I mean, he only hears the echo inside the White House from the voices of the far left. He doesn't understand the American people. He spent his whole life as a senator saying that he was blue collar Joe that he understood the typical American. And now we see that that has always been a lie. It really has always been a lie. But now he's so detached that he has absolutely nothing in common with the typical American. He does not understand the pain they're suffering from gas prices, from massive inflation, from crime running rampant all over the place, from DAs that won't prosecute people. He does not have any feeling for Americans who are in pain and who are demanding that they see action from their leaders. As a consequence, he'll lose in 2022. His party's going to go down to defeat in the midterms. But also he's you know delusional if he thinks that even his own party will make him the nominee in 2024. It, unless he had some radical transformation, which is unlikely to occur, uh, I believe in miracles, but I don't think that this is going to be his uh, his miracle. Um, he's going to end up with no one supporting him because, look, even within his party, as some 64, 65 percent want someone else to run for president uh, among the youth in his party, there's something like 24 percent that mm -hmm. want him run again. And, and, you know, if you don't have that kind of support as a president, you're not going to be, and you're running for re-election, you're not going to have any support sufficient to get him nominated. Gotcha. Well, I think that, uh, I'm sorry, what we're looking at here, Jonathan, is, uh, gosh, I, I hate I, the term embarrassment. I don't even think there's a term that, that is, it, it can be overstated. It's like everything I say is understated as to what this guy is doing in that office and all the reasons uh, he, he likely got there that don't seem legitimate to me. And of course, that's sort of the nature of all of the uh, controversy for anybody that protested around January 6th and called, they call, and, and those that 
don't want to have a self-facing uh, look at what, what just happened in the last election cycle uh, to recognize that there was a lot of things that don't add up. And yet they would call anybody who participated or who protested or who wants to look at the election uh, as a you know, potential domestic terrorist, on and on it goes, for suppression and censorship. No rational discussion or debate about any of these issues. Well, on January 6th, you know, not only is the American public not watching these hearings, but those who do watch the hearing are looking at a gross question that is not being answered. And that is, okay, there was a riot at the Capitol. Uh, why is it that you didn't have adequate police force to protect the capital of the United States from a breach of the barriers and an entry into the Capitol? How is it that that was not possible? And that is not being answered by the committee because Nancy Pelosi doesn't want it to be answered because if you answer it truthfully mm -hmm. and you get the information that is public from the National Capitol Police and from the FBI and from the Department of Defense, you find out that repeatedly there were efforts to get the National Guard there on the understanding that there may be a riot and even the sergeant at arms of the house and the senate asked the leadership if that could happen over and over again and they denied it they refused to allow it until fully after there was a riot until fully after that the, there were injuries being suffered by capitol police only after that and one hour later mm -hmm. after the request, Nancy Pelosi said, okay, you can get the National Guard. So this is a setup. This is a, what, what we don't have uh, before us is what the facts clearly indicate, which is that Nancy Pelosi, paranoid ordinarily, has more security than is ever necessary for most things, mm -hmm. chose in this instance with direct intelligence before her that there would be a potential riot, chose not to have the National Guard there. Why? Because she wanted to allow this to happen. Clearly. And not only that, Jonathan, I don't know if you've seen more information coming out almost by the day of agents provocateur within the FBI, whether they be uh, 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 distant connections or direct connections, that this was facilitated for great intent and purpose that they're utilizing it for all that it's worth right now to rally what little base the Democrats still have against reality. Well, there are a lot of questions about that, about what was happening with regards to FBI agents that were implanted within the various groups that were present. I mean, the, the, and those questions have not been answered. There's no revelation as to the intelligence uh, that, was, that was gleaned from their activities. So we, we are largely ignorant of what they did and we need to know. But what we do know for sure there's, it's undeniable, is that on January the 2nd, the Department of Defense, under the sec acting Secretary of Defense, offered to the Capitol to send National Guard, and they were denied. And then, on the next day, the Sergeant-at-Arms for the House asked Nancy Pelosi, based on intelligence that was gathered by the Capitol Police with the FBI and the, and the clear information that there was a threat to the Capitol security, asked again of Nancy Pelosi if the, if, if the National Guard 
could be brought to the Capitol to protect the Capitol. And she, he was again denied that. And then on the, on the 4th of January, they again asked, that is the sergeant at arms of the, both the House and the Senate, again asked the leadership if the National Guard could be brought there. And they again said no. And the FBI from Norfolk, Virginia, sent intelligence to the Capitol Police on the 3rd or 4th of January saying that they had very credible evidence that individuals were planning a riot at the Capitol and might try to breach the Capitol and may even threaten the lives of members. With that information, they went back to Nancy Pelosi. And yet again, no authorization. The first time she authorized the, the National Guard to come to the Capitol was one hour after a request was made in dire circumstances by the House Sergeant-at-Arms uh, that the riot was taking place, that people were being physically injured and that they couldn't really hold any protection sufficient to avoid a full breach of the Capitol. Then one hour later, after the breach had happened, Nancy Pelosi authorizes the National Guard to come. Then several hours later, not until about five in the afternoon, mm. 5.40 in the afternoon, did the National Guard actually arrive. And that's because they've been told repeatedly to stand down that they had no need for them at the Capitol. There, so whose fault is this? Exactly. And there's no way I think they could get away ultimately with claiming that well, they didn't know and it was genuinely a spontaneous thing. We had no way to, to protect against it. It's like so ridiculous but look at the highest how high the levels go here and you see how far we have yet to to i guess not only acknowledge or recognize the severe deficit we're at right now even if we replace congress and you know senate etc and flip it with the uh, biden administration or whatever would uh, follow before another election that might hopefully be fairly run uh that to say that we're in a serious uh, situation it, again another level of understatement here this was an operation designed to do exactly what they're utilizing it for to distract from the real issues to create artificial issues and yet engage at the highest levels of participation in this and yet claim those people that participated are the criminals well the good news is they're failing miserably they have the lowest viewership people don't care they don't buy it they're so fed up with all the lies coming out of Washington, out of out of uh, Adam Schiff and out of Nancy Pelosi and out of Chuck Schumer and coming from these committee people. They just don't want to hear it. And they're right. Mm. So the American people are on to this. They realize it's a puppet show and they realize it's a false representation of reality mm. and they, they aren't buying it. So it's affecting their judgment, not one iota. The, the Democrats are instead latching on to this abortion issue and they're misrepresent. This is going to be the failure for them, too. They're, you can't get away with constantly lying to the American people. So they're telling the American people that in the Dobbs decision, the Supreme Court outlawed abortion in America. That is not true. The Dobbs decision merely held that there's no power under the Constitution for the foundation of a right to abortion, and that instead the issue of abortion is, is one left by the Constitution to the states and the people. That's not outlawing, uh, outlawing abortion. In fact, in the decision itself, the justices plainly state that they're taking no position 
on the legality or prudence or morality of abortion per se. Rather, they're just saying that under the Constitution, there is no constitutional power over the issue of abortion. There's no constitutional right to abortion in the Constitution of the United States. And so these misrepresentations, which are now foundational to what the Democrats are communicating to their constituents, they're going to get bitten again because the American people are tired of being lied to. Mm -hmm. You can argue all you want about the merits of the uh, decision, but you have to be honest with people and tell them what the actual decision is. And that's not what they're doing. Jonathan, the urging of uh, his, I don't even say his followers, but let's say the, the, the radical pro-abortionists want him to declare in like an emergency, an executive order to say that there's a medical emergency associated with this. And what should this, let's say, uh, teach us about the entire two, two and a half years now of COVID and declarations of emergency? Uh, and I said it many times, and Jonathan, you can back me up or disagree on the, you know, the constitutional basis. It's like, is there an escape clause? in the constitution for the limitations on government by that written constitution if the, the executive branch simply just declares an emergency can they do whatever they want of course not and not only that you know look under the constitution these are legislative powers these powers to write a law or create a new law that will govern the united states is not a power of the president so he has to go to the the congress in the first instance but he doesn't he uses executive power executive orders repeatedly to create new law. And he's been struck down again and again, and he will if he does it with abortion. He'll be struck down again and again because he's usurping the power of the legislature. Well, that's a dictatorship. When you take over, when you act like Caesar and say, I'm emperor now, I don't have to go to Congress. I can just rule from my pen and my sword. Uh, You know, you are a dictator. And he would very much like to be a dictator. The problem Joe Biden has, in addition to cognitive problems related to spatial and temporal awareness, is that he absolutely has no respect for the Constitution of the United States, in particular for the limitations in Article 2 on the power of the executive. If he had respect for the Constitution, he would embrace the issues he wants but he would go to Congress and argue for them, argue that a bill should be introduced, offer them a bill, push for passage of the bill, argue to the American people the merits of it. The fact of the matter is, is he's incompetent as a president. He can't argue. He cannot persuade. We see that over and over again with COVID when he would just sit there and say that there are bad people in the United States who don't want to get vaccinated and they're threatening all of us, but he didn't give any reasons. He didn't give any analysis. He didn't discuss this. He didn't try to persuade. He just tried to dictate. And that's because two things. First, he sold his soul to the socialists to become president. Second, he doesn't have the cognitive ability to argue. And third, he's a tyrant. I mean, this guy absolutely loves power, wants wealth for his own family. He fits the, you know, he's like, he's like a, a, a Marcos. I mean, he wants to have his his Amanda Marcos. He'd like to have his his closet filled with his uh, suits. Oh, Imelda. Yeah, I remember Imelda Marcos. At the expense of the taxpayers. He's lived his whole life off of the public dole. He's Mm. been a public servant. And then it's not enough for him. So he and his family, through his son and his brother, 
engage in influence peddling and pocket millions and millions of dollars. He has joint accounts with Hunter, pays part of his mortgages with that. That's called a violation of the emoluments clause. Hmm. That's a violation of the Constitution's emoluments clause. They, they talked about Donald Trump about the emoluments clause. They, they threatened him with that. There wasn't a foundation at all for it. But then when that comes to, to Biden, there's enormous amounts of evidence that he's violating the emoluments clause. And they do absolutely nothing. They turn a blind eye to it. Well, we have, a, uh, I guess, a people problem because it's a we the people issue that, uh, you know, not only in some ways turns the other way and allows it, but a significant portion enough to, to keep this uh, charade going are actually for it or demanding even more of it, as I mentioned about the executive action or orders potentially that he could declare a, a health care emergency or something to mandate that abortions be uh, done in those states that decided, you know, on the state level that we always thought it was. Uh, that's not part of our journey here in this state. Uh, you know what's interesting, Robert? He's, he's scrambling around trying to give whatever bone the far left of his party is demanding and do it in secret and do it in a deceptive way and do it malicious way. He has never stood up. I mean, this is a lack of courage. This is a lack of stamina. This is a lack of ability. He's never stood up before the American people and explained in detail what his position is and why he takes that position hmm. and how he's going to use power. And to tell the American people, he's, he should be accountable to the American people. He chooses not to be accountable. He, he doesn't want to answer questions from the press. He doesn't want to answer questions that are common questions that everyone would want to know mm -hmm. about why he believes what he believes and what the foundations of this. So we have everybody in the United States, no matter what party they're affiliated with, has to ask the question, who is Joe Biden? Because... Frankly, it's impossible to discern that he has any ideological core to him at all. He's a puppet. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, a guy who can't, a, a person who's the president of the United States who cannot communicate a single coherent sentence without a teleprompter. I mean, this guy is, is amazingly inept. Yes, the 25th Amendment is an issue. Yes. The, the competence of the president's an issue. The only thing is, I mean, who on earth would want to dump Biden for a grand prize of Kamala Harris? I mean, uh, well, exactly. End quote, repeat the line. Wait, I wasn't supposed to say that. Uh, Jonathan, from a family perspective, I had a positive family story I want to share, or actually I want you to share. Uh, and I don't think that I, I don't have, because you sent me the videos on, on the, the phone. I don't know how else to see them because Super Don doesn't have access to them to play them, but I know we at least have the image. Your daughter, who I've known since she was very little, growing up tremendously, uh, and she's always been a powerful athlete, right? She's been engaged in athletics, and she recently took up ballroom dancing. And you said three months ago she took it up, and she yeah. was engaged in a competition. Is it over this last weekend that this happened? Yeah, so uh, just today, uh, this morning, I was with her at this competition, and she took it up three months ago. She goes into this competition with people of all ages who have vastly more experience and uh, have appeared publicly numerous times. And she goes in there, first appearance ever, three months of experience, goes in there, knocks the top off of it, wins first place over and over and over again for the matches that she was in, and then wins the grand championship prize 
uh, uh, absolutely astounding. You can see some of it right there. It doesn't really do justice. No, right but look at her, her moves are like solid for ballroom oh, dancing. Amazing, she's amazing. Amazing talent. And it's just, you know, for, for her father, uh, yeah. lover to death, to see her do that, you know, you know this, Robert, because your daughter's a great No, singer. I know. When we see our daughters and this amazing talent that we're like, where did that come from? Look at her. I, I, I know I'm just holding it up on my phone you, here. I, it, it, it is, this is the greatest gift to have a child, the greatest gift on earth, to have a child and then to see them blossom like this. There's oh, right. here's the picture. Look at that. See I, those medals on there? She won those at this championship. Yeah. But, you know, it's amazing. She's like, she's grown up into a young lady. She's still young. How is this possible? I know. She's 14, Robert. Oh. She was the youngest person in that whole competition. And, and I got to ask you because I know that I can't dance and you can't dance. You can say that again, Robert. Right. But my daughter can dance too. And she can say, do all the things I can't do. And your daughter can do did. How about your wife? Does your wife a dancer? What, oh where? yeah. Okay. My, my wife is beautiful. She's a, she's an incredible dancer, but really I think she would admit too. we don't, we, there's just, we don't even come close to Angelica. Angelica mm -hmm. is incredible. It's a natural talent, Robert. And where it's coming from, not from me. That's for yeah. sure. It's coming <laughs> from her mother, but here's the thing though, boy, if I mm -hmm. wish you had seen it, Robert, because I know yeah. how much you appreciate the arts with your own oh. daughter. Yeah. And I know, and I love your daughter's voice. I just, I'm amazed by that. But there's something so precious to be in something mm -hmm. uh, as a dad and see your daughter just do so well. I mean, you just sit there on pins and needles and you want it to come out and work well for them. And when it does, oh my goodness. And this thing, yeah. Robert, she's going to be a, a, a phenomenal uh, star. I mean, yeah. it's, in, it's, it's, it's coming. I can, right. you can see it. What, what, that. Wasn't like her, her biggest athletic endeavor was in tennis, right? Am I remembering that correctly? That's my son. My son's That's your son doing tennis. tennis. Okay. He won't let me say that. All right. To he, he, it's against the rules. If, if dad says, gee, son, you did a great job with that. My son's phenomenal with tennis. Yeah. My daughter is phenomenal with horse. Horse. With, with okay. Massage, remember seeing pictures. And with dancing okay. and with singing and yeah. in academics. I mean, come yeah. on. What is there to... We, we love it when our kids sur far surpass us. Uh, it's, you yeah. know, those proud moments. But, of course, following their greatest joy. And, and I love sharing this story. And I thank you for sharing it, too, Jonathan, because in the midst of, like, stories that we open the show with, which is like a disaster of epic proportions on a global scale, much less the United States scale, to find that there are people, there are families that are doing extraordinary things, there are kids that are, you know, have a, a dynamic talent that are here to do great things. And uh, to never forget, or nor abandon the great joys that we can find in life, despite the things that are considered obstacles, difficulties, and you know, whether they be political or other realities, that we must find time to find joy in life because this life is a gift. It, we don't, we're not here forever in that context, physically speaking, uh, but to find these moments, and hopefully there are many of them where we can just beam with pride, joy. And I don't mean it in a negative sense. I mean, any parent knows what you're talking about when you say that about your daughter or when we look at our kids and go, man, I'm just so blown away by their talent. I'm so happy that they're doing that. Uh, but this is like those those moments where the light comes pouring through and we go, all right, let's forget for a moment <laughs> that Biden is president and, and then let's carry on. Right. Well, that's how we do it. We we yeah. have to do this. Otherwise, we go nuts. I mean, can you imagine yourself being force fed Biden 24 hours a day? You go insane within two days. No, no doubt. Probably within a few hours. Uh, <laughs> but. 
it's it's that it's it's when you it's just it's the beauty of life i mm. wish for everyone to have a child i look at abortion and say gee what a horrible thing but i also look at it and say gee you know if you just gave life a chance mm -hmm. as a parent uh gave life a chance i appreciate their circumstances where abortion may be necessary like ectopal pregnancies but that's not even an abortion that's just a treatment right they lie about that too but the fact is you know if you just give life a chance and yeah. even though there's hardship associated with parenthood just give it a chance it's the greatest gift you know that robert it's yeah. the greatest gift on earth to have a beautiful baby and to raise that child what a privilege it is, you know? Well, and Super Don knows it with all those grandbabies and just, you know, adding a new one within the last, I don't know if it's been 10 days yet, Super Don, since your latest edition, yeah. Autumn, uh, joined us on planet Earth and sounds like she's doing well. It was on the 6th, the, the evening sixth. of the 6th. Yes. Right, so it's wow. been eight days, if I'm doing the math right. Yeah. And uh, Autumn's doing great and Mom's doing great. Doing good. Yeah. Yeah, the magnificent thing. Uh, we've been blessed by the Lord with a way to enjoy life in, in in really a heavenly way a, a supernal way that's just phenomenal which is to have yeah. children to raise have the privilege of raising them and see them come to fruition and as don seeing them now the next generation which is mm -hmm. just a great thing it, great uh, thing it's a sense of of of, of satisfaction you know it's like mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've i did something right here so <laughs> you did don you did a lot of good things, a lot of right things, and it's great yeah. that, uh, as I say, with all of the uh, issues of rising infertility rates and other horrible things that are happening, even prior to these so-called jabs that are not technically legislate, what we call that statutorily vaccine-defined, um, we are seeing disasters of, of epic portions of these younger generations that may not be able to have children. And so every time I hear a child is born and born healthy, like in, in uh, Don's family, uh, it does make me smile and go, thank God we've got a way to... Uh, you know, keep this thing going because in a lot of places it's, you know, you're going into negative birth rate scenarios. It's just, uh, just, just, and there are people applauding it. Of course, as you know, the population reductionists, they would yeah. do anything to abort babies uh, going into that whole history. Now uh, talk about saving lives here as much as I will let everybody know how I feel about modern medicine when it's uh, done in places it doesn't belong. And that's a lot of places where it can excel, which is extraordinary, of course, is an emergency trauma, life-saving interventions, even surgical procedures that can save lives. And of course, that comes out of battlefield medicine. In fact, allopathic medicine, that's where it shines, keeping the soldiers alive. But they apply it improperly in a lot of places. But when your life is on the line and you want to rely on doctors, like, for instance, for whatever reason, I'm not making judgments, I'm not saying why, but let's say there is an organ failure situation in any age or young age in particular, and you're up for getting an organ replacement, let's say you're a child or even a teenager, and yet you're denied the transplant. They have an organ for you simply because you refuse to get the jab that's known as a COVID vaccination. And a, a judge apparently, Jonathan, I don't know if you read this. This is shocking, but not, I guess. A judge says it's legally okay to deny an organ transplant to someone who has not gotten a COVID jab. On what basis has this judge made this ruling? Yeah, this is in Canada. And as you know, as we discussed in earlier programs, the protection of rights in Canada is far less than in the United States because they don't recognize rights as pre-political. Mm -hmm. uh, Parliament grants the rights. So this is a ca characteristic example of the deprivation of rights by the state 
predicated on the state's own balancing of its interests. It wants people to be vaccinated. And now apparently it wants people to be vaccinated in Canada so badly that it's willing to kill them mm. to ensure that they uh, will get vaccinated. Can you, look at Look at how insane this is. You want someone to be vaccinated who needs an organ transplant and you won't allow the organ transplant to take place because you insist on the vaccination. So you kill the person to prevent a virus that is now in an endemic phase and is killing far few people. And so it is not a instant death to even get it or transmit it. Yet you are telling this person, even under that metric, that even if it's a cold, we've told you, you have to be vaccinated. And if you don't get vaccinated, we're going to kill you. We're not going to let you have the essential organ transplant you need to live. That is a deprivation of right of life based on arbitrary criteria. And it is utterly cruel, totalitarian proof that the uh, regime in Canada is totalitarian. They've largely bent over and accepted China as their masters in many respects. They're totally beholden to this whole socialist agenda, thanks to Trudeau. And so we have got to wake up, recognize that this happened in Canada, but recognize it could happen here and that we have got mm -hmm. to do everything possible to reverse this movement inside the United mm -hmm. States to progress socialism to the point where you, as an American citizen, cannot be safe in the protection of your rights. They're doing that in the area of the Second Amendment. They want to take your weapons away. They want to restrict your rights such that it'll be more difficult for you to defend yourself. And believe me, if they could get away with what's happening in Canada, uh, they would. They would here too. In fact, we see instances in this country mm -hmm. under pressure from the Biden administration where hospitals refuse to allow uh, access or treatment to patients who are coming in who are not vaccinated. I was, was going to say... We have instances of organ donation here. Yeah. I mean, organ transplant here where they've done organ transplant based on that. Now, that has not come from the state. There hasn't been a judicial determination in the United States that I'm aware of right. that has condoned it. But nonetheless, look at what happened in Canada. Learn from it. Let's mm -hmm. pray it never happens here. Yeah, I don't know that there if there has been a court challenge that there's been a ruling on that because we have reported on the refusals to, uh, uh, you know, those that have on a waiting list or approved to get the the actual organ and yet denied or claimed or threatened with denial. And so, yes, I don't know what a, a U.S. court would decide, but uh, the way you uh, related it, it's very clear. It's like we will make you get that vaccine or we will kill you. That's not an exaggeration because that's the the end result of we deny you the organ that we say it's here for you. All you have to do is get this shot or else. I mean, how is that not a horrible level of coercion by the state at that point? And maybe, again, that's their agenda is perhaps this is our way to not give you the organ. We just have rather have you die kind of a eugenicist approach to medicine. That's it. And mm. it's a dictatorial approach. I mean, they're trying to rather than just be doctors treating people in need. They want to be uh, as a public health authority, mm -hmm. doctors who dictate to you what you must do in order to deserve treatment and when you're in critical need. And so they, they if, if they can get away with this, which they can in Canada, 
They can look at your whole background and say, oh, well, you know what? You didn't complete the vaccine schedule. Uh, as a consequence, we're not going to treat you here for an emergency. We're not. You, you come in the one door with uh, automobile injury, you need immediate care. I'm sorry, you're going to go out the other door because you didn't, our records show, you didn't complete the vaccine schedule. Mm -hmm. Or they could say, oh, well, you didn't live a lifestyle that we expect. You, you increased your risks one kind or another. We go down that road, we go down that road, and they, they're also looking at it based we will give preferential treatment to those of a certain race. We will give preferential treatment to those of a certain gender. Uh, this whole approach of unequal justice, of denying equal treatment under the law, this is unconstitutional in this country, but it is the movement of the far left. It is the movement of the Biden administration. They mm -hmm. want to characterize you as either deserving or undeserving. And if you're undeserving, they want to mistreat you and punish you for it. All right, let's look for more reasons to celebrate. Let's say, how about getting together at the Health Freedom Expo? I know for some of you, it's a while off and you're thinking, ah, it's too far October, but man, time moves quickly. And it's middle October, 15th and 16th of October, upcoming events, trinityhealthfreedomexpo.com. I just received an email saying that if you want to be an exhibitor uh, through, uh, I think August or so, I think that, that Superdon might find this and show it on screen that those of you who have products or services that the health freedom community would love to see or learn about 50 bucks off on your exhibitor package now through August 31st. So you've got some time, but please consider if you've never exhibited at the health freedom expo, it's a wonderful opportunity to share what you have products or services or combinations of the both of both call the Trinity health freedom expo at 888-658-3976, expo and learn more by going to trinityhealthfreedomexpo.com. Jonathan is always there. I'm always there. We have a great time together uh, with our events, our lectures, and uh, panel discussions on freedom. And, you know, each year we learn more. Uh, and I think the ability, once again, to be together, we find strength by coming together. And these are the things that uh, the, the bad guys don't want us to do. They try to frighten us. They say, oh, don't come next to, you know, stay apart. But in that way, we, in isolation, think, wrongly so that we're all alone in our love of liberty there are you know, so many Robert, of us as far as booths go at the last expo our booth was hopping like you would not believe i introduced to that booth a whole bunch of freedom wear items and, yes and you remember that you have a number of them but this time robert i've got one extra for you which is the tommy Reardon boxing club t-shirt with a picture oh. of my dad oh. uh, boxing gear and uh, it's 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 really precious, but you need that T-shirt, Robert. And I'm gonna I, give you one when I see you. I will be so pleased to wear that. Acknowledge your dad, the boxer, who I never met, uh, who's just everything I hear about him is just tremendous, amazing. Yeah, I man. went in. I went in yesterday to work out because you know I've been traveling, so I've been missing a few days. And um, there was a special uh, what they called. Um, uh, they had uh, trainers at five of the nine rounds Four of the nine rounds was the challenge of the week where you're just plowing through it. And the other five rounds were trainer led. So you're actually sparring through five rounds in between it, man. I, I got my pulse point up to where I want it within nine rounds. It was like, it was a really intense workout. I'm feeling it today, but it feels I, I, great. I just, I'm so impressed by you, Robert. There's no way on earth. I could go more than three rounds. If I made it through three rounds, I'd be lucky. Mm -hmm. You go to 20, 21, 22, and you're yeah. just, 
Uh, you're you're the energizer bunny, Robert. Now you know, Jonathan, though the long term perspectives of this. It didn't like I I dropped into it in the first day. I was doing twenty two rounds, right? It's like you work up to it. I just want everybody to know it's not like I look. I had chronic diseases in my young life. I fought through them as a young athlete too. Just through the human will is strong, and you can push through a lot of obstacles. But also, I was at risk knowing now what I know. Today, looking back at my my younger self, my gosh, especially in an era with the so-called spike proteins and all these jabs, the risk for cardiovascular events in young people is just ridiculous. And I was, you know, I had what they called preatrial tachycardia at a certain point in my athletic career, but I just fought through it. I didn't want drugs, even though I didn't know what I know today. And I got through it. But there are so many people dropping dead, young people that they've coined this term sudden adult death syndrome. I don't know if you've seen this, Jonathan. And yeah. And, we know that, of course, it's a it's a it's a name that is distracting us from the obvious that these are adverse events due to this experimental injection technology, much like SIDS is a distraction as far as sudden infant death syndrome. They found a study that showed within one to seven days. I don't know what it was, 70, 80, 90 percent of the deaths that are occurring, they call SIDS are within one to seven days of a childhood vaccine. And, and that's like, how do you say we know it's not the vaccines, but we don't know what it is. And this is the kind of thing continuing forward that should be embarrassing to all doctors and scientists. As I said, th this is not hard to see. And that I would ask if you're a, a medical professional or nursing professional, and some of you are speaking out like our next hour's guest, plus the folks I'm interacting with at the Health Independence Alliance, which, by the way, Superdon, put that up if you don't mind from upcoming events this Friday. That's tomorrow, the 15th of July. I'll be hosting an event with Defending Utah. Uh, about some health care issues uh, specific for that state, but also, you know, in a, in a broader sense, how we're all trying to come together and work together. And there are physicians coming to that event, and I'm a homeopath. We're all working together. It's called the Health Solutions Symposium, and there's still tickets available, very reasonably priced, only 15 bucks uh, or $20 the day of, but still, it's, it's great. And Dr. Scott Bradley will be there, Jordan and Cassidy Gunderson. Uh, nurses from the Health Independence Alliance will be presenting and I'll be there as well. And I appreciate Shazad and the crew at Defending uh, Utah for putting this on at the Salt Lake Community Center. Uh, I'm sorry. So let me say this again. Salt Lake Community College, Sandy Campus. And so that's coming up tomorrow. So there's a lot of good things that are happening. And it's not just at that event, but around the country. We're hearing people coming together, working together, cooperating, doctors, pharmacists, nurses. In fact, yes, Jonathan, pharmacists I've met over the course of the last two years that are saying, my gosh, what they're telling us is so wrong. They can see through it. But many of them, of course, risk their very jobs and careers to speak out. And it's just a horrendous example. It's more like the Soviet Union than it is in America that we would recognize. Yeah, how it is that we reach the point where medical authorities who wish to question a medical approach are deemed to be heretics and condemned and they're ostracized and their licenses are taken away. If anything, we ought to have this environment of true science where open debate is fostered and where the public is allowed access to information and where we don't have this authoritarian mm. approach of excluding information that government officials find distasteful. It ought to be that we have an open debate environment. It needs to be at the universities. We have censorship at the universities. We have this cancel culture reigning supreme there and conservative voices are snuffed out of the university, we ought to instead have an open, uh, wide open, robust debate environment. That's how we learn. That's how we progress. That has been our, our, the basis of our 
evolution as a great nation is because we have had tolerance for dissent and we have allowed dissent to be a part of debate. And that debate has educated us in ways that the rest of the closed world has been denied. And that has been a key element in innovation and in, in overcoming obstacles, considerable obstacles, like uh, any number of problems with fossil fuels or with uh, the internal combustion engine or with uh, 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 production plants, one kind or another. All of this has no. been won over because of what Julian Simon, Julian L. Simon used to refer to as the ultimate resource, which was the human mind. Mm -hmm. If we don't have debate, if we don't have to look at things in a different way, we can very uh, assuredly not innovate in important ways that save our nation. Mm -hmm. So it's more than just denying a conservative voice or denying a voice of dissent in the medical community. It's eliminating contest of ideas essential to ferreting out truth mm -hmm. and ferreting out innovative ideas that can save us. So we're retarding our growth. We're killing our progress in no small measure because yeah. we are denying that debate to take place. Well, if they can't win uh, the intellectual debate, which they don't enter because they can't win it in discussion of these topics, they say, hey, you know, if we can regulate oil to $10 a gallon, then poor people will be able to afford electric cars that cost fifty yeah. to a hundred thousand dollars. How dishonest this is! How the climate change agenda, the Biden administration, how dishonest it is! They don't want, they don't trust the American people to decide. So instead, they are going to manipulate you into forcing you into buying an electric vehicle and giving up fossil fuels. How? by shutting down the supply through regulatory constraints that strangle the availability of oil and gas and mm -hmm. make the price, the cost of it go up so much that they think inevitably you're going to migrate to electric. Whether you like electric or not, they're forcing you into it. They mm -hmm. aren't persuading you. It's dishonest. No. They're not coming out and explaining to you why this is the way to go and trying to convince you to agree to it Mm -hmm. by having your members of Congress vote in favor of it. No, they're using the regulatory state and they're imposing it. And they think we're fools. They think we don't even see it. They think that, oh, you're just going to go to the gas station and say, oh, I can't afford gas. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to go home and be a dependent of government for the rest of my life. And oh, by the way, um, if I do have the resources, I'm going to just go buy an electric car. Really? You think people are going to buy an electric car? People are too smart to buy an electric car. A lot of people realize, hey, the electric car isn't going to help the environment. The electric car is not going to uh, ensure me reliable transportation. Within 10 years, I might have to get a replacement for that battery. Hey, it may cost me ten dollars to $30,000 to replace that battery. Gee, somehow a gas-powered car just doesn't sound that bad of an mm -hmm. idea. So common sense dictates the direction of markets oftentimes. And in this market, people want gas-powered cars. 98% well, of Americans want gas-powered cars. They have them. And, and they certainly, aren't the electric car. If we focused on our you know, innovation within the technology that exists, there's certainly been efficiency of those uh, gas-powered engines that have increased over decades that is really quite extraordinary and would continue to do so. 
and also technologies now to get to get oil out of the sands in an environmentally friendly way, which I've seen now firsthand that they want to suppress as well. It's an interesting thing what we're talking about also because it's leading to the complete flipping on its head of the perception versus maybe reality or not of who's in the Democratic Party, who's in the Democrat Party, who's in the Republican Party. Axios is reporting that Democrats are now the party of the upscale voters as GOP is embracing the working class. But the Dems are just abandoning the so-called base to such a degree. It's like, where do you think they're going to go when things like we've just discussed is occurring and they can't afford to put food on their tables? You know, now suddenly the Republican Party is looking like uh, the party of the people. Yeah, it's so interesting how arrogant the Democrat Party is today how they take people for granted. So for example, with the Hispanic vote in America, they're taking it for granted. They're taking it for granted even in the presence of the border states where there are uh, Republicans in the ascendancy among Hispanic voters in voting populations where 80 or more percent of people voting are Hispanics. They're voting in droves for Republicans. They're electing Republicans. And And they're becoming a Republican constituency because they, look, Rather than pander to them based on race or the outrageous comment of Joe Biden that where she associates Hispanics, Latinos with tacos. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's stupid. Uh, but in addition to being stupid, it's condescending and rude. It's racist. I mean, it's absolutely outrageous coming out of the mouth of the uh, uh, first lady. And it shows you just how to, out of touch they are because mm-hmm. The same issues that drive the rest of us drive them. They're sick of the high gas prices. They're sick of the inflation. They're watching their businesses being destroyed. They're watching this whole movement of masking and forcing uh, vaccine mandates ruin their society as it is the society in general because they have become Americans because these populations and they want to be Americans. They want to be embraced by America. They want to be the that live the american dream the democrats have abandoned the american dream they want us all to be dependents they want this socialist state mm-hmm. and so they're alienating hispanics all over the united states who are shifting and moving in droves to the republican party because they didn't come here to be slaves they didn't come here to be taken for granted and that's what the democrats are doing and that's the promise of the democrats mm-hmm. the future for americans for Demo- for by the democrats is to become a slave to the state. That's the future they're offering. That's it. Well, That's the future they're offering. And perhaps a bigger issue, and we'll wrap up on this for the next few minutes, and we've got Dr. Simone Gold standing by for hour two. I'm really excited to meet her for the first time. But the inflation issue, which we know is not because of Putin and, and really uh, invading Ukraine. I mean, that's uh, you can say, okay, there's factors involved, but the Federal Reserve System, the 1913 act that set up a, a, a form of money, another banking cartel that we had had one or two before that. And there were warnings from our founding fathers. And uh, um, man, oh, man, the the idea that international bankers could control our our future by printing money to oblivion to where everything that the American people are working for is worth so much less. They can't keep up with it. And we're supposed to think that. Uh, All we have to do is invite Republicans into the mix. This is where I go. Here's our wake up call that we've got to put people in Republicans right now is the trending party because people are seeing how bad the Dems are. But we need Republicans that understand the role of the Federal Reserve in destroying monetary integrity. 
And how can we bring back freedom in this economy? Can they do it in this round coming in a couple of years with a midterm changeover? We still got a long way to go. Do we have much time left, Jonathan? This is a pivotal moment in our history, no question about it. If we do not turn as we think we are turning, based on all the evidence, to re-embrace a free market, to re-embrace American exceptionalism, to re-embrace our history, accept our great history, accept the founding fathers, accept the brilliance, the genius of our republic and our constitution, and stand up and defend those things. If we don't do that, then we're going to witness the greatest nation in the history of the world collapse into the common abyss of socialism. And we can, we can make a difference, mm -hmm. uh, but really it's time for the silent majority to be vocal, for people to start recognizing you can't take your rights for granted. You can't assume they're going to be there tomorrow. You already have strong evidence from this administration that they will take your rights away and they will go as far as, they, as you will allow them. Mm -hmm. But the American people have their opportunity to save the republic, to reverse the course, to restore a vibrant economy, to bring back liberty and prosperity, in, in, and to ensure that future generations can be protected in their rights from all comers who would take those rights away. And that's, uh, that's our duty and as our obligation as Americans, I think. And I think that we will rise to the occasion. I'm confident that we will do this, Robert. I know that most people share our views in this mm -hmm. regard. They believe in free enterprise. They understand that socialism doesn't work. They understand that if we could keep going down this path, we're going to lose everything. But if we have economic immaturity in terms of understanding how inflation actually occurs, that that's a vulnerability moving forward, even among the Republican base, because we've seen parties switch back and forth since 1913 and very few people like Ron Paul ever called out the Fed and said, you know, that's the hidden tax on all Americans. The the weakening of the money supply, you know, the, the money is being printed to where it's not valuable at all. We've seen of, of this this whole approach by mm -hmm. the progressives of operating behind the scenes, mm -hmm. denying you your rights and denying your right to have uh, input because they, they keep it in the secret. And that's, um, we have to be very mindful of those who operate in the bureaucracy without our knowledge, uh, and do so to, mm -hmm. to circumvent our rights. We have to stop this. That's why I've favored elimination of the administrative state entirely mm -hmm. to restore the separation of powers and the system of checks and balances as the founding fathers intended. You know, it's interesting we're seeing as we wrap up here with you, Jonathan, uh, some of the, the you know, frontline doctors, uh, people that are now pretty, pretty outspoken, like Dr. Robert Malone, uh, saying the administrative state is the greatest danger, to, greatest threat to America. So what you've been saying and preaching about for decades and I've been talking about here, it's finally eking out into the rest of the general population, including the so-called expert class within various fields, whether they be economically focused, unlike the Biden administration. We're apparently like 62% of the people that are trying to run the economy have no business background, not even a year of business experience yeah. to now seeing people from all backgrounds and walks of life saying, hey, yeah, we realize now this oligarchy is the greatest threat to us being able to move forward as a free people. Yeah, I'm hopeful, Robert. There is promise. And we are looking at people 
you know, they tried to force down the Americans' throats, the socialists will in large quantities and in rapid in a rapid manner. And fortunately mm -hmm. for us, we didn't swallow it. We're regurgitating it. Mm -hmm. And that is ideal. We are, are are rising. I feel it. I see it. I wherever I speak, I mm -hmm. see their same reaction. People are fed up. They're not going to take it. Yep. And they are prepared to change the course of history yeah. by putting into power those who will defend their rights and liberties against the abuses of the state. Now, as we That's wrap up here with Jonathan E. Mord, I'm holding up his book. We've talked about it many times, but there are new people that are joining us all the time. The authoritarians, uh, their assault on individual liberty, the Constitution, a free enterprise from the 19th century to the present. Jonathan E. Mord, one of the greatest books, and it's been voted as such, written on this uh, degradation of freedom through the oligarchy that has emerged in America in the progressive era forward to today. So everybody get that book. If you haven't already, Jonathan, my brother, thank you for rekindling the sacred fire of Liberty. Once again, you bet Robert, good to be with you. my friend. And tell your daughter, congratulations. It's so amazing. We've got a lot more healing to go on the Robert's yeah, Bell show. Dr. Simone gold joins us in just a moment as we take a brief educational break to lead us into our two and her journey as America's frontline doctor and part of that group and what she experienced on January 6th and the atrocity, I think, that is not justice being served. But let's hear from her after this, because the power to heal is still yours. Robert Scott, the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. This hour of the Robert Scott Bell Show brought to you by our good friends at Orange Guard, orangeguard.com. Tor McPartland, great guy. Went up all the way through the EPA, got his delimiting from orange peel, approved as an EPA regulated pesticide, but it's so safe. I drank it on the air. <laughs> safe around your kids, your pets. You're not going to harm anybody, but the little buggers that you don't want around the house. Orange Guard, make it smell like oranges too. Use it around the greenhouse. Safe, Omri certified for organic agriculture. And if you want to keep plugged into the newsletter, Super Don, my humble and lovable producer sends out, just text RSB, my initials, to 22828, RSB to 22828. We'll keep you plugged in on all the goings on regarding health, freedom, and healing liberty and more, as you heard with the Sacred Fire of Liberty Hour with Jonathan E. Mord. Thank you all for being here two hours a day, six days a week, or any fraction thereof. I am honored to introduce you for the first time on the Robert Scott Bell Show. We've wanted to interview her since the whole thing broke in the last couple of years with America's frontline doctors. We've had some of them on, but right now we're going to welcome you to the show. Dr. Simone Gold, thanks for being here. It's about time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's not like you've been busy doing anything, of course. I know. I've just been chilling, sitting back, lying on the beach. Yeah, well, you're actually looking great considering the stories that are out there. And we actually have websites linked up in the show notes today, including freedoctorgold.org, talking about the loss of equal protection and the atrocity. I believe that is your conviction. I think they've they've sentenced you to serve, what, 60 days or is it suspended? What's going on there? Yes, it's quite unbelievable to take a person who's never been involved in the criminal justice system before with no hint of violence, no allegation of violence, uh, my whole lifetime has been dedicated to helping humanity and to be, I took a plea on a, on a nonviolent misdemeanor trespass charge, fully expecting the judge 
um, perhaps to give community service, and instead he ordered 60 days in federal prison. Uh, it, this is clearly a vindictive, uh, I believe, uh, sentence to say, hey, see what we can do. Look at us. We're the powerful ones. You, you doctors think you could speak out or you Americans think you can actually protest nonviolently. Uh, of course, they call that whole thing an insurrection. Last hour, we talked with Jonathan Emord about the more revelations surrounding that. All of the opportunities uh, uh, Pelosi and others in the Democrat Party had to stop this from ever happening, and they facilitated it like they wanted it clearly to happen, to use it for political gain, as we've seen. You know, for me, the, for me, the frustrating part was that the government, you know, I'm a lawyer as well, and the government is not permitted to overcharge on a crime. They're not permitted to charge you with crime for which they don't have proof and evidence. But that's what they're doing to myself, and they did that to really, I think, all the January 6th defendants and haven't gone through every case. But they overcharged so aggressively that you're really forced in this terrible position of accepting a plea deal. And for me, the worst part about accepting a plea deal was not having a day in court to challenge the the lies and the fallacies and the things that the media does not report. For example, on my side, on the east side of the building, we we were not experiencing violence. I mean, I saw videos like other people saw where there were little pockets of people, perhaps they were Antifa that sneak, snuck in or things like that. But on the east side of the building where I was, it was moms and grandparents with baby carriages. It was people literally singing Kumbaya, people praying, people singing, people happy and joyful. And I really didn't have an opportunity to say that because I was literally overcharged with a 20 year felony. So if anybody doubts that this is dangerous stuff, just hear that story. Yeah, that is a stunning uh, description as, as we've seen. We've heard people that were interacting. In fact, I interviewed my buddy Ty, who was there that day walking down the street with the chaos that was ensuing. But to find out how much it was actually facilitated into existence by those that would use it opportunistically in this way to attack freedom of speech, for instance. And you, as a physician, have done extraordinary work in bringing light to, hey, there are successful treatments that are working to protect people from having to go into hospitals that we've now seen are the overt killing fields of modern warfare even if there's no declaration of war on the people who simply go there thinking that they have no other opportunity or choice to live. And then they end up dying because of the protocols there. You know, I, I, I'll just say one more, one, one or two more words about the, the overcharging because it's relevant to what you're saying is that this is probably the only time in the past two and a half years that I feel like I've been silenced because I was put in a position that I couldn't speak the truth because the government acted illegally with overcharging. Again, as a lawyer, you are not allowed, the government side, the prosecution side is not allowed to charge for crimes for which there's not the evidence. There's certain elements of each crime. So they ended up charging me with a felony obstruction, which has five elements of which I committed none. They had no evidence of that. That's why they offered a plea deal on a misdemeanor trespass. But in overcharging with a felony obstruction that carries 20 years, and not permitting people to change jurisdictions because I was watching other defendants and they have not granted change in venue, putting me in front of a DC jury that I, I understand they, they, they run about an 80% um, rate of thinking all January 6th defendants should be convicted. They've stacked the deck against me and it's really the first time I have allowed myself to be silenced. And I just want people to know how dangerous the situation it is. Mm. As you mentioned, I came to be known because I was speaking out for truthful um, 
medical care. I mean, that's what I speak about. I happen to not have been speaking about Biden or Trump or the election. You know, free speech is good. Everyone ought to be able to say it as they wish, but it happens to not be my public lane. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, they did what they could to silence me. Yeah. And, and coming back again, as we're bouncing through these topics, and I think they're very important to consider all of that. One of the things that occurs to me is that the government seemingly has unlimited funds to prosecute people. And if they uh, charge them with crimes, like you said, just throw everything, even if there's no evidence for it, it becomes impossible for only the, the most, except for those of the most wealthy among us to afford a defense against an unlimited attack that you would have to fight, as you pointed out as well, within a jurisdiction that is uh, heavily biased in favor of the government's view of what occurred there or a significant portion of who's controlling the government's view of what happened on January 6th. So uh, this is also something that we've seen in terms of injustice of government or prosecutors, aggressive prosecutors going after people so that they get a plea deal and that it looks good on their record, specifically like a prosecutor's record, that they got another conviction, even if it's down to a plea. And I think it's a strategy that's been used by government on all levels. And you've seen it now at the highest level. Exactly right. Um, And as much as they're always wanting to do that because it's easier for them and they look like they're stacking wins, as you've suggested, I think they're really more focused on it with January 6th, because once you go to trial, you get a different level of discovery against the government. Mm. So they're very, very anxious to force people to take pleas more than even usual. Mm. It's really, you know, it's really scary stuff. The, the, the fact that they were suppressing early treatment options, the fact they were letting people take lethal treatments with drugs like remdesivir when they're safe drugs like ivermectin that work is bad enough. But to watch the collapse of our constitutional freedoms, you know, right to a speedy trial, right to the fact that the prosecution and the judge are not in cahoots, right Mm -hmm. to the fact that the prosecution is required to be an officer of the court, meaning they must uphold the law. In other words, the defense side is permitted to act as aggressively as possible, truthfully, but as aggressively as possible to defend the defendant. The defense has only one job, but prosecution in our system of law has two jobs. It's to prosecute the case, but it's also to be an officer of the court, to only allow legal, lawful, um, behaviors and the government is acting shamefully. The government is overcharging crimes for which they don't have evidence and, and they're controlling the evidence. So I'm going to write about this because during my time in incarceration, I'm going to do this thing that, you know, a lot of people like myself who've been thrown into jail do, and I'm going to write a book. You'll have an opportunity to read it early next year. And it's, it's going to be exactly about selective prosecution. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's a, another timely uh, a book that I will be happy to get you back on to promote and talk about because uh, as I said, it, justice is something that's seemingly lost to the average folks in America uh, in a uh, world where um, global corporations, multinational corporations that have no allegiance to any nation or state have run roughshod over not only the people, but the government. They now control the, what's known as the bureaucratic oligarchy. Many of the, le- the agencies like FDA, uh, CDC in its own right. NIH has become a political organization under Fauci, as you know, for a long time, decades, if you've read uh, the real Anthony Fauci by Bobby Kennedy Jr. I mean, it's stunning. The things I've been covering in 23 years of this broadcast as well about Fauci's career long before there was COVID. This guy was, in my opinion, a criminal almost from day one as he established this fiefdom and uh, has, has resulted in the deaths of millions and millions of Americans and people around the world. And I don't believe I'm stating that too 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 strongly. And yet it's people like you and others that were happened to be around January 6th at the Capitol that are considered criminals and have to be persecuted to beyond the fullest extent of the law. Right. 
Um, you're exactly right to be afraid of the bureaucratic state. That's what's coming. That's what's here. And that's what's coming. This unelected bureaucratic state is controlling people. Even in my particular situation, I was subjected to tremendous amount of extrajudicial punishment at the hands of a bureaucratic state. The FBI went after me um, in an extrajudicial way. They've done things to me that were outside the purview of the court. Now, our system is set up for three branches of government, right? So there's the judicial, which is supposed to mete out the, the, the punishment, the legislative that crafts the laws, and the executive branch, which is sort of like the arm. So, so a wee, easy way to understand this is the, the legislative branch writes the law, if somebody breaks the law, which is what the government alleged, then the police come to arrest you. The police is part of the executive branch. And then in the jury system, in the judicial system, you know, innocence or guilt is it's kind of legally established. But what we have now is the executive branch has so many agencies under it that they themselves have an enormous amount of power. And this is unelected, unelected power. So the FDA, the FDA, the NIH, the CDC, they've corrupted medicine beyond recognition. And the FBI, you know, it's for decades, it's been a problem. Mm -hmm. But it's now just becoming evident to the American people what a huge problem it is. So I believe the system's actually not fixable. You know, and so my lane is medical. My lane is health. And so I absolutely intend, and what I've been working on for, for for many, many months now, is bringing alternative type of system to the American people that they can access in terms of medical. So um, stay tuned for that. That's very, very fun and exciting and positive development. Well, Dr. Gold, this is something I'm seeing occurring in every state of the nation right now. I've been interacting with physicians. I'm a, I'm a homeopathic doctor, so I've been uh, not invited to any of the tables of discussion. As you know, in America, we've got a division in terms of a monopoly on healing and health care to one class of men and women and uh, denying equal access, if you will, to all others. That was a, a prophetic uh, prediction, if you will, by one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and so here we are established monopoly that within that monopoly, doctors such as you with integrity have spoken up and said, hey, there's a problem here. We need to have freedom of thought, freedom of conscience, freedom to innovate in terms of what they call standard of care, which they don't define, except they they know it when they don't see it because their handlers say that's not it. And then they go after the doctors who actually have zero death rates among the covid people coming to them like like you and others that we've reported on and had on this show. And so now I'm seeing allopathic physicians meeting with nurses and homeopaths and naturopaths and herbalists and chiropractors coming together in the spirit of collegiality to do just what you're describing, establish a parallel or a separate system that cannot be made from within this corrupt decaying system, but will, will rise up out of those ashes or even before it's fully in ashes to make accessible the healing and healthcare that I think the people deserve and desire, as opposed to enter into a one size fits all approach of collectivist reductionist socialist type medicine. Listen, there's some really basic economic things that went wrong to create the mess that we're in now with our healthcare system. There's, there's two huge ones that I can think of. One is that the patient no longer just pays the doctor, right? So it's no longer just a capitalist endeavor where, you know, mm -hmm. you find a doctor, you believe the doctor, you pay the doctor, and you have control over the doctor because you have that relationship where you're paying the doctor. And I don't mean to be too crass about it, but honestly, that's what works in every other area of life where you have that direct relationship. If you go to the hardware store, you know the guy and, and he's doing a good job and, the, and the, the gadgets he gives you work, then you go back to him, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. We need so hardware insurance. We need a third party to intervene when we go to the hardware store so we get the best. Yeah, you know, see how exactly. Yeah. So, so that's one big thing is that we're no longer, there, you know, for decades now, it's not been the doctor-patient relationship where the patient is really the yeah. boss over the doctor. 
And that's even more true. There's more elements to that than just the insurance as the middleman. It's also the fact that doctors themselves are no longer small business owners. My father is a doctor in his day. I, I'm guessing lot, not even 5% of doctors were employees. I mean, it was very rare in my dad's day for a doctor to be an employee. It was very uncommon. So at the start of lockdowns, 62% uh, of doctors were employees, which I think is tragic. But at the end of lockdowns, I'm from California, so I call it lockdowns, not COVID. Mm -hmm. But the end of California, at the end of lockdowns, about 75% of doctors were now employees. So they're employees of large hospital corporations or other types of corporations. But what does that mean? That means when your employer has a goal that's different than you, the patient, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. So if there's no conflict, that's fine. It'll be okay. But you don't know when a conflict will arise. And we saw this terribly, terribly met in COVID times. When a Medicare patient was admitted to the hospital with, with a serious COVID, and they were or medium, medium or serious, and they got pretty ill, Medicare and government payments were larger if the patient went on remdesivir and didn't go on ivermectin. Now that's two completely different kinds of corruption. One is just the financial incentive to use a drug that's bad for you. That's remdesivir. We know remdesivir is bad for you. 35% of people who go on it die. It was a failed Ebola drug. It causes lit, you know, kidney failure. It's, it's not a good drug. If there was absolutely no alternative or you were really death's door, your risk of death was very high, it would be one thing. But as you well know, the CDC statistics themselves bear out the fact that COVID is not nearly as lethal as, as remdesivir is, quite frankly. But then the second level of corruption is that if you went on remdesivir as a hospitalized patient, that financial incentive didn't exist unless you also were not put on ivermectin. In other words, the government incentivized not using a cheap, safe, generic drug. You have to ask yourself why that is. And if you're a Medicare recipient, and again, this is just one example, if you're a Medicare recipient, how safe do you feel upon hearing my words? Now, if you were hiring the doctor yourself and paying the doctor yourself and you had a direct relationship with your doctor, I can assure you that your doctor's not going to use protocols that are dangerous for you. Well, that's a very, very important point in terms of the, the top-down scenario. And it also it expands to um, my beef with licensure as a, as, a, as a controlling factor in supposedly to protect the public when really it protects an economic monopoly. And whoever controls that controls the doctors as well. We, as by we the way, out. Robert, yeah. may yeah. I interject? So we saw that everywhere. So, of course, doctor's licenses were at risk. But think yeah. about it. Like the restaurant licenser, licenses were at risk or they yep. would have opened. The small businesses, you know, Ian Smith up in New Jersey, he owns a gym. You know, his license were threatened. They kept threatening business licenses. Mm -hmm. We really got to see that the concept of licensure is being weaponized by the state and perhaps, mm -hmm. you know, the federal government later to shut down dissent, to shut down disagreeing right. voices. Well said. I mean, that's the point. It's always been that. It just hasn't had to play out so overtly until now. But yes, this is an idea I wish physicians would revolt against licensure and embrace the concept of uh, board certification, private certifications, because we can establish qualifications without licensure. Again, licensure is about economic monopolies, but even more so the control of those who are engaged in the practice of whatever is licensed. As the doctors found out, even if you weren't in a hospital setting and you were forced in or incentivized to do things that are killing patients, those outside of that were threatened with loss of licensure or fines, etc., under that system and you pointed out to expand that to all businesses that is the risk when you ask permission of the government to do something that they consider otherwise would be illegal now you're subject to the whims of bureaucrats that don't couldn't even run a, a business yours or couldn't be a doctor at all yet they're directing and, and and telling us all how we must live our lives or how doctors must do their jobs 
So we saw this it really across all industries. Of course, medicine is mine, but we also saw this with the pharmaceutical company, right? The pharmaceutical companies, they they were being kind of threatened by the pharmaceutical boards. So we have this crazy situation now where things that humans need that are almost as basic as food, right? You know, life-saving kinds of medicines or over-the-counter medicines, even these are, are potentially going to be restricted. So mm -hmm. what I can say is the last two and a half years has woken up so many people, by the way, myself included, that there's really an amazing opportunity. In fact, I'm super optimistic about what can come come of this, as you said, from the ashes. I'm super optimistic. We're starting, an, uh, me, it's mine, but with a whole team, we're starting a new way forward. I don't know if you're even familiar with it, but it's gold care. It's not health care, it's gold care. So health care is out and gold care is in. And we are aligning not only the doctor-patient relationship, but we're also putting together dietitians, naturopaths, functional physicians. We're putting together those people with traditional doctors. We're not throwing anything out, but we're not going to oversell you on the illness model if that's not what you need. Most people's medical needs are kind of ordinary and basic lifestyle, better lifestyle decisions, right? It's eating less, it's exercising more. It's not like all the medications that or surgeries or procedures or tests that they're forcing on people or suggesting to people. You know, when you've removed the financial breaks, right? Because you've, you've the, from the patient's perspective, they're paying an insurance company. So then when the doctor tells them that they need something, they're like, well, I've already paid. So sure, let me go ahead and get that. And they don't really know. We've removed all of that. We have direct doctor-patient relationship, and we are not incentivizing doctors or patients to go down the illness model, but rather to go down the wellness model. Right. It's well, so exciting. We have it linked up, by the way, in the show notes. Uh, Super Don's been showing that up on screen for those of you watching live. If you're listening later to the podcast on the places we haven't been banned, yes, there are places that haven't banned us yet. <laughs> <laughs> you can also catch that and come on over to robertscatbell.com. Today's show notes have available July 14th, 2022. We have the link to goldcare.com. And that's a great innovation, uh, Dr. Gold, because as I said, I've been discussing with physicians of all kinds all around the country, meeting regularly with it within the area. I am in a great group of people that are working together to establish exactly what you're talking about. I don't know if there's going to be a one size fits all approach. I'm looking for mm -hmm. everybody to innovate. Let's find out what works the exactly. best. And in a free market, it'll be obvious, but in a controlled and managed market, like we have in a monopoly system, the ensuing disaster is inevitable. And we're seeing, you know, a hundred plus years later after the Flexner report of 1910 restricted education in a medical school yeah. setting to that, which was only, teaching doctors to prescribe toxic poisons that were approved by the, I call them the fear and death administration, despite the fact that nobody actually genuinely suffers from a drug deficiency disease. Uh, <laughs> we have got to an absurd level of where doctors can't be doctors. My uncle was a medical doctor. God rest his soul. He's no longer with us. He warned me, even though he knew I wanted to be, grow up to become a doctor, not to become a medical doctor because he saw the bureaucracy, the red tape, the third party controls, whether it be government or otherwise, devastating the doctor who went in for all the right reasons. And he knew my spirit and he said, you're going to be miserable. And I learned through 19 years of being the recipient of medical treatment that I would not be happy doing to others what they did to me. Now, I wasn't aware that there were other forms of medicine because I'm a typical American. I never even heard the word homeopathy until I was 24 years of age. Come to find out it was a mainstay of uh, the uh, curricula at Emory University Medical School where I went to school uh, up until 1949, it lasted well past the Flexner report. Cause in the South, they're like, they couldn't get everywhere. But the idea that again, there's a one size fits all, even in homeopathy is wrong. There's got to be a patient centered. And I say this not in a 
political sense, but in a sense where you look at the individual and say, what does that individual need? They don't need the same thing as this person or this person, but our system has been designed to say everybody needs remdesivir that comes to a hospital in the worst case scenario of what we've seen manifest and the resulting inevitable death, because you know, if it destroys kidneys, how do you live without kidneys? There are not enough dialysis machines, dialysis machines to go around anyway. Right. So it's good that a lot of those people died. Right. I mean, that was, that seems like it was the motive. Right. Instead no, of rationing definitely. care. We, yeah, again, this is population <laughs> reductionist level of uh, uh, intention at this point. You can't, how does a doctor not know? How does a, a nurse not know? That's why I respect so much the doctors and nurses that are willing to speak out at risk to their careers. But I'm also calling out as many doctors are the ones that are remaining complicit in, in their silence. There's no excuse when people are dying at that point. Why did you go into medicine if you're going to turn your head while people are being killed by protocols in your well, profession? I, I mean, I, I could share a little insight in my experience. You know, I've been living in California for a long time. Thankfully, I fled the communist nation of California recently. Mm -hmm. But during lockdowns, they really did institute almost like a tiered stage approach to removing compassion from the healthcare worker. I don't know that people really quite realize this, but when they started saying that you had to wear masks all the time, they started saying you couldn't visit your loved ones. Over a period of a, a very short time, one to three months, I'd say, my own nurses in my own hospital really were forced to kind of squelch their own compassionate natures because they were told that they would be fired if they allowed in a relative of somebody who was dying or very, very ill. And I remember thinking, well, this has to have an effect on the nurse's psyche, right? That they're being put in this position of being actually cruel. So it's a very interesting sociological phenomenon, how to teach people not to care by putting their own self-interest ahead of, you know, pitting their, two of their own self-interest. You go into nursing to care for people, but you also have to pay your own bills. And for the first time in my lifetime, for sure, they were pitting against each other the nurses or the doctors desire to help against the nurses or doctors desire to just kind of, you know, live their life, you know, without bankrupting themselves. I never had seen that before. I mean, we had patients coming in and we weren't allowed to let in their spouses of 50 years. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, so in addition to the tragedy for the patients in front of me, the tragedy of teaching our healthcare doctors and nurses to go along with, mm -hmm. um, cruel policies yeah, yeah. that's well, going to have reverberations forever yeah you're, in other words your compassion kills your own career your compassion kills Correct. your own livelihood and yet the compassion you would have for patients in their care is something that you would normally want to embrace and and manifest in your own life and now they said no, no that's going to kill you so now they had so to make a decision either, you either encourage doctors and nurses like that to leave the practice of medicine or nursing or you taught them to tamponade down mm -hmm. the their compassion. Both right. are terrible for patients, just terrible yeah. for patients. Well, and Dr. Gold, we've seen, you know, on this show, of course, it's been integrative since the beginning. And I've had many, many great physicians that are brilliant and that, that they have embraced, let's say, more holistic and integrative protocols long before there was COVID. And yet they faced this kind of persecution on more of an isolated case scenario where they were threatened with loss of licensure. Some some did lose their licenses otherwise because they weren't killing patients. They were actually healing them in ways unapproved by uh, I call the bureaucratic oligarchy in this case, much less licensing boards. And so this has grown and grown and grown to where now it's hard uh, to find a doctor that's not aware of the danger of the system that they've stepped into based on the control, not from uh, those who would actually encourage you to innovate and do the right thing, 
but from those who want to limit and restrict innovation because that would make them look bad. And of course, certain profit centers would be reduced significantly. Let's just say if we didn't have to engage in uh, cardiac bypass surgeries, which is a multi-million billion dollar industry, which started in you know the mid early well mid twentieth century, uh, when they uh, ba- basically abandoned a legitimate medical treatment known as chelation therapy for lead poisoning, and they uh, they found that it also happened to clear arteries. But the moment doctors realized that and started utilizing it that way, those doctors were immediately rendered as quacks so in, among I, their I professionals. I will say that a goldcare.com, which is starting with national telemedicine, then will expand outward from there. We are actually looking at all aspects of medical care. We've taken the first, the most common, let's say 50 diagnoses that patients come to a doctor with, and we've actually gone through it to see what works from the old and what doesn't work because we don't believe really most of what we read anymore. You know, I was a board certified emergency doctor for years. I was well aware that Lipitor, an anti-cholesterol or anti-lipid agent, mm-hmm. um, was like the most prescribed drug. I think it's Pfizer. It was just the mo- I think it's the biggest moneymaker for Pfizer. And I didn't really give it a second thought. And then, you know, I started looking at all of these assumptions that we've made, all of them. Mm-hmm. And so many of them are false. For example, Dr. Peter McCullough just tweeted out that Prevnar, you know, the pneumococcal vaccine mm-hmm. is just worthless. It's just yeah. worthless. So, and in my own career, you know, I always had to take an influenza shot, which I thought was ridiculous because I knew it didn't work. And here's the reason how I knew it didn't work because everyone I ever admitted into the hospital with influenza had taken the influenza shot. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was literally like you, were, you would have to deny your own eyes and experience to yeah. see. What those of us in, in so what we call new or alternative media were pointing out, even going to things like the Cochrane collaboration, which used to be admired. And then when they started coming out against flu shots and other things, suddenly they were abandoned and made, oh, if you if you reference the Cochrane connection, you will be deplatformed on Twitter. I mean, I saw that happen. It was just amazing. The, the sound science that they would bring, but it, it went against the narrative of, you know, the sheeple must accept their shots. Yeah. And by the way, and you know, People on the other side like to label me as this anti-vax person. It's kind of funny because really my lane is about free speech. I just want people to have the information. I want people to make up their own mind. You know, I happen to have taken shots all of my career. My children took shots. I never really thought about it until the whole COVID thing. I'm a little mm-hmm. embarrassed to say that, but it was just kind of one of those things you were taught and you went through. I'm encouraged that Peter McCullough said kind of the same thing. We didn't really think deeply about these things. Mm-hmm. But my lane is making sure that we have the robust free speech so that people can make up their own mind. And just to go back to January 6th, like literally I was there giving a speech on health freedom, on the things that people needed to know. And the government was so focused on silencing me in particular that they ended up putting me on a poster of, you know, FBI most wanted. I mean, it was ludicrous. I mean, it's, I don't know how you can say that with a straight face. Mm -hmm. And the judge in my trial, who, by the way, I had the misfortune of drawing the Sussman judge, that judge was so angry Mm-hmm. Just like you could see it, you could feel it, you the could rage. hear it. He was yeah. so angry. He was filled with rage and fury at America's frontline doctors. It's highly abnormal why he should even care. He doesn't have to agree. I'm not forcing it on no, anyone. No, he should have recused himself based on he that. He should have recused himself. He was furious. Yeah. Yeah. He was furious. And, and Dr. Gold, again, th- I want to acknowledge what you said. This is a show fundamentally about health freedom. I may have perspectives as a homeopath that differ from uh, some allopaths, but uh, we're coming closer and closer in alignment overall. And Peter McCullough as well, who I've uh, shared the stage with a number of times now, and he's been on this show. uh, And he acknowledges the things they didn't learn. You didn't learn in medical school that I learned in a different way. And it doesn't mean one is mutually exclusive, but it's like we all have blind spots. And yet fundamentally, if I disagree with a particular medical treatment, I'm not here to say the government needs to stop you from doing it or on and on. I want the freedom to communicate as you are 
freedom of speech so that we can make informed decisions. And if we are at least honored by the choice is ours or in conjunction with a doctor, a chosen healthcare provider, who could ask for anything more? That's my mind where, where we need to be. It isn't about forcing things, mandating things, stopping things. It's about the freedom to choose. Is that not our fundamental agreement? Right. So one of the things that worries me a lot, and I bet it worries you, is that while the government has had massive control over prescription drugs, they are making some noises about controlling over-the-counter drugs. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably a big concern to your listeners, like drugs like NAC, you know, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are over-the-counter in much of the world. So people in America, really, we really need to start waking up to the fact that they, they claim that this is about safety, for example, but it's clearly not because they keep trying to move the control to anything that they can control. No. And, I, and I will say, um, I do think that the reason there's been dispute maybe between homeopaths and naturopaths and traditionally allopath doctors in the past is we, we literally were not exposed to the same things. You might've been exposed to what I was exposed to, but I can tell you for sure, we had no training essentially on nutrition or vaccines right. or vitamins, like none. I mean, my education has been over the past two and a half years. It's actually very, very shameful. Yeah. It's shameful that I should have gone all the way through medical school and not have been alerted to the important things like vitamin D or even melatonin, just like really basic things. It's actually mm -hmm. shameful. Yeah, and that's the point where I see the positive outcome of a tragic circumstance of this mm -hmm. COVID craziness, lockdowns, et cetera, is that the openness, it takes a lot of hardship and intense experiences to break the cycle of, of mind control, if you will, even though they've tried to use mind control against us, but there's a point where they push too hard, where it's woken up what I call the medical or allopathic profession, nurses and doctors. And I've, I've never seen the spirit of collegiality in my years, uh, decades of doing this. Dr. Gold, where we're coming together. And like you said, Peter McCullough, you, you know, is a kind man. He's so sweet as a, just like I'm saying, Dr. McCullough, you're too nice. Right. I tell him that But the, the reality is he's self-effacing. Now he's acknowledging what you're saying. Look, we didn't learn this stuff. We all need to catch up or we need to rely on one another. When we have areas of deficit and others have areas of expertise, we don't dismiss based on biases, but say, Hey, is this a gap in my knowledge? Yes. Let's talk about it. And that's what I see positive happening here, where we can once again come together in the spirit of cooperation, not dominance and monopoly. That's exactly what I'm doing at Gold Care. I really am so excited and proud of it because we really are putting together naturopaths and traditional doctors. I think they both have a lot to value. I mean, a traditional doctor like myself, an emergency doctor, I think we're excellent at trauma, at orthopedics. Like We're fabulous yeah. at that. But we're not great at the chronic things that that are bringing down the American people. I mean, obesity, right, and depression, and fatigue, and hormone imbalance, and things like that. We're terrible. <laughs> we're terrible at that. So we come at it, Gold Care, by putting the two together. Like we don't have any prejudice. So we, I'm so excited. I don't think this has ever been done in American medicine before. So. Not not since before the, you know the the, the yeah. administrative state right of right. course there was some semblance of freedom of course everybody was competing with one another and if we go back to the history of medicine one of the seminal books that I read uh, by Harris Coulter Divided Legacy shared the story that is unwritten in most other areas about the history of medicine in America and we we grew up like I did in the 20th century primarily and thought. The only medicine there is is modern medicine. I was growing up, my dad was a pharmaceutical guy, so I didn't know. And then come to find out that they erased history and hardly had to rewrite it as long as they erased it's embarrassing. the embarrassing. And then it's embarrassing. Become, and and yeah. by the way, really all meds kind of derive from natural products to the beginning. Of course, with. originally I mean, in North Korea. Like, 
So going back to nature is not a, a step backwards. In fact, it's an acknowledgement that God created this universe with all of the medicines that we could ever need or want. And that it's man's arrogance that screws it up by creating synthetic toxic poisons and then expecting no negative consequences to occur, except that we have a monopoly on synthetic toxic poisons to address those synthetic toxic poisons to create 10 other diseases where there may have only been one or two or none. Yeah. I just want to say that reminded me of the fact that, you know, Fauci gets the shot, gets the shot, gets the shot, gets COVID, that gets COVID again, then he takes Paxlovid, then he gets COVID worse, and he talks about there being a rebound for Paxlovid, but he, but he literally still says that the vaccine is good. I, 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 it, it's, it's really hard to process. I just think we're living sort of like through the Salem witch trials. I, I think people can't see clearly. I don't know. Yeah, don't well, know. the M, the M in his MD degree means moron, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, because yeah. yeah, how do you not see that unless you're paid? very well not to see it and that of course is yeah. an economic incentive that we see conflicts of interest used to matter in terms of peer-reviewed medical literature as well all of these things that they've come out with government or industry sponsored data surrounding the covid jabs which don't meet the statutory definition of a vaccine anyway there's some suits going on about that as well mrna injection that's not a vaccine but hey you know there are legal definitions statutory and otherwise but we've got to come back to the standpoint that the government has no business restricting our freedom based on the acceptance of right. an experimental so, injectable product. That's always been my lane. So we didn't get into vaccines as much as people uh, pretend that's what we got into. There were other organizations to do that. There were finer scientists than myself doing that. Our lane was to protect our constitutional freedom, our right to decide, mm -hmm. you know, my body, my choice, your inalienable right just to control your body. That yeah. that's been our lane. We fought that in the courts. I do I know that from all of the lawsuits that we threw at the system, the CDC and the NIH and the Department of Defense and various universities, we threw sand into the gears. And because this particular shot was so ineffective and, and not safe, I knew that if we could just slow the process, yeah. you know, it, it would out itself. And that's really exactly what happened. And I'm so grateful. And, and I'm really just so great. The thing was so ineffective and unsafe that it did itself in as long as we had the time to do that. So we, we got that time really through all the lawsuits. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, I'm sad for all those who have suffered and have lost loved ones. I've had friends that have been killed by the hospital protocols. Not literally. I mean, literally, yeah. not figuratively, really. And there are suits going on right now. There are stories after stories. Scott Shara has become my friend, his daughter, Grace, who was a young adult, but, uh, you know, was born uh, with, uh, uh, well, we call the situation, those are the people that would have been aborted in previous terms under Margaret Sanger's definition or Nazi Germany. It's like, and they want to really establish that anybody is not just perfect. Whatever that perfection is, uh, should be eliminated. Uh, you know, this is another aspect of, unfortunately, Dr. Gold, the doctors themselves, whether it be a Nazi Germany scenario or the manifesting of those that are still engaged in uh, remdesivir invent procedures, killing people in hospitals, it's like, this profession is not noble in that context. We, we stop, we need to stop worshiping people because they have medical degrees and recognize they're human beings. They're fallible as all of us are, and then start looking at them on an individual basis and saying, yes, you know, certain things as you acknowledge where you're good and certain areas where you're not, and you don't necessarily belong unless you get training in there or you work collaboratively with those that have. And that's sounds like with gold care, what you're doing. And I'm so, so wonderfully happy to hear that. Honestly, I, you know, <laughs> 
the last two and a half years were very difficult, but I would not have had the opportunity to, to bring forth this new endeavor. There's mm -hmm. clearly demand from the American people for something better. Um, yeah. The other thing I want to tell people is that medical care is actually not as expensive as you've been led to believe. I'm not saying that at certain times it's not expensive. Cer certainly, if you have an accident, you build up $100,000 in medical expenses. That scenario exists, but that can be managed with a kind of a catastrophic policy. Correct. Yeah. But you, the American people have been both oversold purchases they don't need to so over purchasing and overpaying both mm -hmm. so that over purchasing and that overpaying stops as soon as the people have a direct relationship where they pay the provider mm -hmm. so so anyway we're going back to how my dad used to do it and i'm oh, i love that well yeah. this is a this is I love what you're saying because this is the kind of thing I've been promoting for so long to say, look, if we got third parties out of the way and you had to interact with a doctor and a patient, that used to be considered a sacred relationship. Yes. And that was damaged and destroyed or almost irreparably, perhaps irreparably because of the third party intervention, whether it be private or whether it be public slash government, because now they are dictating what the doctor would normally be responsive to the patient and vice versa. And now it corrupts that sacred relationship. And then of course there are economic incentives associated with a doctor says, well, I would prescribe this, but the insurance won't cover it. The patient says, well, I would take that, but the insurance won't cover it. So cover the what's covered I'll take. And yet it could be completely inappropriate and even bankrupting. And people are removed from the real costs of medicine. When those things are removed, it becomes quite affordable for most people. And in the cases where it's not, there is, as you point out, catastrophic coverage, which is long since passed because there's so much thrown into that and or charity could genuinely come back into the realm where people of generous capacities would be giving and sharing in ways that we cannot do when the government is basically bankrupting us with the cost of running that oligarchy. So we're going to teach people how to get unhooked from the insurance system because just using insurance is feeding the beast. So we are that's part of our mission at Gold Care is we teach you actually how to get off the insurance system mm -hmm. um, because it's actually killing you. The yeah, yeah, we need to get back to the primacy of the doctor-patient relationship. There's so many ways it's been threatened. You know, the insurance is one way, but now because of the COVID and the laws that happened, certain states actually have tried, are trying to interfere with doctors even talking to patients straight mm -hmm. up. So California have put forward a bill, House Bill 2098, to really threaten doctors' licenses if, if they even spoke, right, if they even spoke. So this is in litigation right now. I can't imagine that the doctor side won't win, but why would a doctor have to go to court and spend $100,000 to do, to defend their right to be able to speak in the public space? They're saying that doctors can't speak against the narrative in the public space, and then they're saying that they can't speak even in the doctor-patient relationship. So Americans really need to wake up because you very, very soon, especially in certain states, you're not really even going to be able to have a, a, a an honest conversation with your doctor. Yeah. Well, I've called for a separation of medicine and state. That might be something <laughs> too far yet, yeah. but it would be lovely if the in freedom doctors and patients could interact and all doctors of all stripes and colors or whatever can hang a shingle in cooperation. And yes, the spirit of healthy competition, find out, you know, the things that work will rise to the top in a free market. Exactly. Whereas in a controlled managed market, the imbeciles end up running the asylum. And, look at, and by the look way, prices couching. go down in a, in a yes. capitalist system, they go down. And the, yeah. the, the greatest example is the LASIK eye surgery was considered elective and it's not covered by insurance. People mm -hmm. want to fix the vision from the nearsighted and farsighted. I actually can't yeah. remember. But um, when it came out, I think it was about $10,000 an eye. I could be right. wrong on the number, but now it's about $2,000 an eye. And that's because the market determined what a doctor yeah. would pay to do it safely. And you can check if the doctors, you know, has done a good job with that. But that is what capitalism does. Capitalism lowers the price. In freedom. Yeah. It's a free market. It. 
Yeah, the problem is capitalism has been corrupted to where it's capitalism or crony, right? And yeah. So the word itself is 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 tinged with this energy that people go, "Oh, capitalism, you're one of them." I'm like, "No, we're about the freedom." Free market, free, free market, market, I should exactly. say. Exactly. Which is free again market. lost because I get what you're saying, but I know I hear what people hear when they hear the free word. Market. Free market. I'm going to change how yeah. I say it. Yeah, no, Dr. Simone Gold, you're doing great. I'm so glad we we finally connected here. And when is the official date that you have to go in and serve the 60 days to write your book? <laughs> That's great. And I need a little rest, so I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. I believe it is Jan, uh, July 26th, and there's a little bit of discussion around that, so I'm not 100%, mm -hmm. but it will be very soon, a week to two weeks from now. Okay. And, you know, I just... I just ask the people, listen to the story and understand that it really couldn't happen to anybody. Maybe it didn't happen to you on January 6, 2021. Mm -hmm. But the pretext of going after me so aggressively, so hard for what was widely on videotape as being entirely peaceful. And in fact, I was reading my speech on health policy that pictures all over the, the news and, and Washington Post even ran a story on it. Mm -hmm. But there I am reading my speech and you're saying you can put someone like me in prison for 60 days when we see so many other examples of violence during protests where people don't even get charged. So mm -hmm. just, just use my story as caution that we're really in serious jeopardy of losing our constitutional rights in this nation. Yeah. Well, Dr. Gold, like I said, I know you'll use the time wisely. Hopefully they can shorten it when you're in there and, uh, make make a little bit better scenario for you but i understand you're going to use that time wisely for the benefit of yourself and others with this book that you're, you're telling me about which i look forward to reading and sharing on this with this audience when you come back out or if you need to get a message out before you go in you're welcome here anytime i appreciate what you're doing with gold care as well that was a nice discovery yeah, I, here I, and thank you for mentioning the top of the top of our time together but free dr gold dot or that, okay. that is a movement that was started to shed light on, on the tyranny that's really taken over our judicial system. And mm -hmm. the funds raised there go towards that. They go towards lawsuits and public, almost um, like, like public communications on these issues. Mm -hmm. And then goldcare.com if you're looking for a better system for yourself. Yeah, there it is, free Dr. Gold. We've got Thank them both you. linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Um, Dr. Simone Golgan, welcome again. You're, you're, you're welcome here anytime. I love the, the, the discussion we've had here and, you know, the willingness to talk about your journey and the awakening that's happening. It's, it's really to all of our benefits, despite the fact that we've lost loved ones and friends in this time, that's part of life throughout history. But, uh, it makes me want to do better and better and better in the midst of this. And the opportunity has provided itself through the tragedies, through the loss that we've experienced. So, I know that good is coming out of this, Dr. Gold. Thank you. Thank all you right. so much. All right. Thank you. That's Dr. Simone Gold, America's Frontline Doctors and more. All the things she's doing with the Gold Care. Fascinating journey. Like I said, we never would have had this opportunity to come together had it not been for the craziness of COVID. So as much as I would go, yeah, that sucked. At the same time, we have to acknowledge there's a really lot of good things that are happening, including uh, physicians and, and of all kinds, backgrounds coming together, working together for the betterment of people that really need genuine health care uh, and acknowledging that there are specific places where we excel, where we don't, and that's okay. It's not something we need to cover up and pretend doesn't exist, but that's where we can come together in the spirit of cooperation, in freedom, not in coercion, not in deception, not in monopoly. And it seems to be like a basic concept that is just lost somewhere, 
kind of like the idea that you can poison people back to health. <laughs> you know, you talk to kids about that. They're like, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. What do you mean poison people back to health? Well, I know, I know. Even though there's a place for medicines to, in, in life and death scenarios to suppress certain things or for certain things to happen. But after that, get out and use it as shortly as possible to get out into more holistic ideas of nutrition and support for metabolic functions within the body. And of course, recognizing that we are energetic beings as well. It's not just about chemistry and molecules. And so great innovations in medicine are happening in the, what we call the energetic healing fronts of which eh, homeopathy is there too, even though it's inexplicable to molecular reductionists, but glad to be here with you two hours a day, six days a week. As we wrap up today's show, a few more minutes to go. Super Don, uh, did we have a poll question of the day today after, uh, uh, what you sent out for the email alert? Remember RSV? Of course, there's always yeah. a poll of the day in the newsletter. And what, what do we do? What do we send out today? Uh, let's see today. Yeah. Uh, there was a study. Half of Americans think living a healthy lifestyle would make them miserable. Wow. What say an, you? That's an interesting thing. I hope, well, look, you know, me, I, my bias is like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Although I know <laughs> there are people there in that state because they have a perception of what a healthy lifestyle is. And look, I, I, I've had a wonderful life since the age of 24 when I transitioned to organic living. And yet, I'm not saying it was all easy. There were some miserable times. I agree. And I think in that context, if you say you can temporarily have to transit through misery to get to the joy of living a healthy life. But I guess this article says plant-based BS, half of Americans think healthy lifestyle would make them miserable. I guess they have a misunderstanding of what a healthy lifestyle is in some cases. Now, well, if, if, if their version of a healthy lifestyle is you can, you can never have a piece of a cake and never have a beer, and maybe you de get great joy in both of those, Right. Okay. I, I guess I know where they're coming from, but I think it's, it's a, a, it's a you know, it has a lot to do with perspective. Well, it has a lot to do with a few things, not just one thing, but you know, perspective is a huge part of it mm -hmm. because if you look at, you know, let's say, let's just take the eating part because healthy lifestyle is a huge umbrella. Right. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go into that, but you know, mm -hmm. let's just take, you know, if you look at the picture of the article, you know, she looked very disgusted and bored with a piece of broccoli on her on her right. on her fork, right? Right. You know, so let's just take the food part of it. You know, mm -hmm. um, if you if you view it as taking things away, mm -hmm. that's negative, right? Yeah, of course. If you look at it as adding new things to it, then it's a positive. It's changing so your attitude about it. It is. You know, your your attitude your attitude. Um, well, like, for example, uh, Friday night before the uh, uh, Red Pill Expo, uh, Joni Abbott and her friend Josh, we went to a restaurant. I forget the name of it now. That's annoying. I, I mentioned it, but it was clean, organic quality food, but it was like delicious. It wasn't like I was eating. Well, food, that's the other part, of right? It, you know, is yeah. that when you're trying something new, you got to figure out how to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so if yeah. you're just eating a piece of broccoli. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, that, that's probably not going to be too exciting. But if you learn how to cook it and prepare it and stuff like mm -hmm. that, make it something that's fun and that tastes good and all this stuff, right. which you can be done. Perspective is in order, that's though. I mean, I, I suffered so much as a young person that it was like for me, a healthy lifestyle is like, oh, my gosh, why would I do anything else? But if people aren't there yet, then they have perceptions about what a healthy lifestyle is like. So what were the responses? Can you show us the results of that poll question? I can. So half of Americans think living a healthy lifestyle would make them miserable. What say you? Uh, as I expected, mm -hmm. we had 83% saying that they disagree with that. Uh, that was followed by 6% saying I somewhat disagree, mm -hmm. which I appreciate those people. 
Uh, and then you had, uh, what, 5% saying, I agree. So we did have some people that said they agreed with that. Well, look at our audience, though. 83%, 84%, basically, yeah. going, no, that's crazy. A healthy well, lifestyle would that, not make That, that kind of makes sense, right? You know, yeah. if we had asked this question, doing mm -hmm. a man on the street walking down, uh, you know, yeah. uh, some major city or something like that, would have probably been different. Yeah. Uh, there are some people that say that I agree. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're glad that you're watching the show because those are some things we can talk about. And hopefully you uh, you stick with the newsletter because one of the big things that we do include in the newsletter are tips and tricks on living a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And so that is, that's something that can be kind of a, a learning uh, tool sure. for that. And other ways to learn about it is come to some of these events that are in the upcoming events tab at robertscabell.com, including the that Journey is. of Healthcare Interactive Summit with Dr. Tracy Straub, Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Len Brankowitz, Jamie Dorley, and me, RSB. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's going to be August 6th in Pittsburgh, or you can stream it live on the air for a fee, but it's worthwhile wherever you can go or however you can get there. I'd love to see you. Speaking of events, yeah, really quick, tonight there's a webinar going on. Oh, that's right. We got Glenn Meters coming back, and we're going to do an event today at 7 o'clock Eastern, I think, or you know, 7 Central, so 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock yep. Pacific. And it's free. Click on that link in the, in the notes, show notes. And uh, I think, uh, I don't know where else you have it. Is there a banner or something that people could click on to join in? On it that? went out on the newsletter. It was in the show notes. And we, we okay. actually had them on day before yesterday. So mm -hmm. uh, if you are you uh, are on the email list, you got the email actually this morning as well, mm -hmm. just reminding you of the event tonight. Yeah. And I believe if you go over to our Facebook page, mm -hmm. it is also on there as an event. Okay. Uh, and so you can click on it. Despite the that. fact that they won't air our show, we're still on I Facebook. Know. It's the weirdest thing. I Very strange. Know. But, yeah, we have it. Privacy Action Plan with Glenn Meter. So hope to see you there. Also, yep. uh, tomorrow, Friday, the 15th of uh, July, uh, Defending Utah has an event at Salt Lake Community College in Sandy. I'll be there for that. And then we've got other upcoming events, Autism One in the Desert, Mesa, Arizona, August 18th through the 21st. And uh, gosh, there's more. There's more happening, and we'll announce it as we as we go, uh, of course. And I appreciate it. I think the Simone Gold interview was fascinating. We'll talk more about it in the bonus round in just a moment because we got to wrap up, don't we? We do. All right, y'all. Thanks for being here to share the show. We got the bonus round coming up in 60 seconds from now. If you're listening or watching live, because the power to heal is yours. All right, Super D, what, what did you think of uh, the first time with Dr. Simone Gold here on the show? She was good. You know, I mean, the thing is, is unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard Simone Gold talk, yeah. and you've seen some of these, you know, these press conferences and these rallies and stuff, and you're like, she's been at. So I just think it was cool that we got her on, because from what I understand, she's being very particular Mm -hmm. uh, about uh, who she's doing interviews with because of what it is that's going on and the amount of time she has before she's got to go, which I love the way you put it. How long is it going to be before you get to go and take 60 days to write your book? Yeah. You know, it's just like, that. what a, what a positive spin to put on that, right? <laughs> Honestly, I, I mean, that. that's, that's the thing. It's like, you never get that downtime, and that's a forced downtime, and that could be a very po profound and powerful Right. thing for Simone to have that to do that book that is a very timely book we talked about that concept for a yep. long time here and it's just wonderful to see doctors physicians figure it out too 
it, it takes a lot of brutality to get there and shake shake this proverbial mental tree. But it's happening. It's happened, and we're going to see good things come of it. And I, I am fundamentally an optimist at heart, even though we do acknowledge the, the deceptions that have occurred and the bad things that are occurring to people that don't know this are making what we would consider poor choices for their health and their freedom. Uh, at the same time, you know, that freedom is the thing where we align. And I think Simone got, gets that totally. You know, it's about that choice. It's about freedom. She didn't argue for a monopoly. So it's like if you are good at what you do, you don't need a monopoly. Because the people will beat down your doors to get you, to see you, to want your services or goods, whatever they are, if they're good. That's free market, as she called it, capitalism. I'm loath to use the word capitalism, not because I hate it, per se, but because of the, the vibration, the alteration of it in a time of crony capitalism or crapitalism. And, and that's a reality where we have to go to freedom or free markets to explain how that should or could work in reality, where Yes, costs come down, innovation goes up, benefits occur, and, and you know accessibility and all of that is up. But we've lost sight that freedom is the answer to the what ails us in problems. And we think, oh, no, 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 only more government intervention, only more third-party payers. It's so unaffordable. And as she rightly pointed out as well, it's unaffordable because of the third-party payer schemes, insurance, et cetera. And when you take that out of the equation, most of the things that you would seek out for healing are quite affordable relative to where they are today. And that's not to say out of acute interventions that, uh, you know, in hospital settings could be expensive regardless, but that is as pointed out, what is catastrophic care and catastrophic care on its own is much more affordable than other forms of insurance because it really is an extreme situation, emergency that happens once in a blue moon, as opposed to every day you use it, then it becomes untenable. Indeed. Yeah. So, uh, lightweight discussions in the uh, chat room today. Let me see who's there. Yes. Yeah, now uh, it is a Thursday, right? Yeah, it's one of those things. Hi, mom. Mom's there. Hi, mom. Love you. Great interview. Thanks. She liked the interview with Dr. Gold. That's good. Uh, let's see. Steven says, anytime that a boss tells a health professional that they will be fired if they render the best care to patients, they should record that and post it publicly. Yeah can do that undercover videos of course that's not bad shout out to jeff herzog radio america usa she says is it ivana trump or his first wife his first wife yeah she just died ex-wife yeah ex-wife, passed away yeah. 73 years old wow okay build back better is really break down quicker i'm just looking at the, the comments that have coming in consuming seaweed cures fertility issues i love seaweed but that, then again, I've had two kids. I, I'm not done, all right? No more. My I wife would say no more. Don't really eat much seaweed. The only time I ever eat seaweed is when it's wrapped around sushi. Mm-hmm. I just can eat sheets of. of, I can eat sheets of seaweed. Yeah, I know. They sell yeah. them and the things. And... Yeah, I love it. Do you like sushi? Uh, yeah, I'm okay with it. I mean, obviously, yeah. the quality issues you, you got to be careful with. But right. um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I wish that they would wrap it with organic rice. That would be even better. You, you can't get wild get it with organic rice. You can make it. I guess there are some places that I've might made do it that. before. Yeah, yeah. Long time ago, years ago, I I, uh, I just was curious about how to make it, so I bought. And you have to buy like a it's it's like a bamboo mat, mm-hmm. uh, and you buy the seaweed oh, you roll wraps it up. I've seen that and all yeah. that stuff, and then you cut it and stuff. Yeah. Hmm. So you can make it yourself. Very cool. Um. All right. So, what do we got going on tomorrow? 
That's a good question. Let's take a look. Tomorrow is Friday. We've got Marjorie Wildcraft tomorrow and Dr. Mm -hmm. Robbie Kulasekera. Yeah, Robbie is going to be a very important interview because y'all need to know, if you don't already, Sri Lanka has collapsed as far it's as it's a mess the government. Right and <laughs> you want to talk about supply chain disruptions, fuel, etc. Is this what portends for America? And if so, you better be paying attention to what is important, vitally important right now. I don't know when, some will say if, but most say when, something like this will manifest. And what can you do to cut it off, head it off of the pass, so to speak? Is it possible even? So I want to talk to Ravi about that and a whole lot more. So glad to have Dr. Ravi back on the show tomorrow. And I was, I was mentioning uh, Scott Shera and uh, his daughter, Grace. They're apparently teaming up with Vera Sharav, Scott and Vera, to do a, a kind of a, a tour that's pretty fascinating to me. I heard from Kevin about that. We'll get them both on to talk about it sometime soon as well. All right. Um, I think that's all I've got. So again, the uh, webinar tonight with Glenn Meter, you actually will be on there for a few minutes. Yeah, I want to welcome everybody to the event. And, yeah. and then I'm going to get out of the way of the expert because that's not an area where I am like super knowledgeable at all. So uh, I don't pretend to know something I don't know. If I don't know it, I don't know it. Uh, and I want to learn it. So I hope you all join us there for that. Uh, I have any, pictures. Uh, I had to get them ready here. Pictures of Autumn. You want to see? Yes. Yeah. These are no, recent pictures here. This is her. Right. Hanging out at the uh, the park. Yep. I think this was yesterday. And there's some pictures of her. Oh, look at that. With her <laughs> eyes open. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Giant pupils. Isn't it great? Yeah. Can't tell. I mean, they're so young. Just you know, at, at this point, you can't really tell what's going to be what as far as like eye color and stuff like that. Looks just like some... baby Super Don dark blue eyes going on yeah. there and stuff so there you go that's great and and is mama completely recovered running marathons again pretty much yeah it, it, she bounced back pretty pretty quick so very cool yep well i i think what we need to do uh is take some pictures or video of our gardens for marjorie tomorrow so we can share with her what we've been going okay, through yeah that could be cool i, I gotta get out there and do that I can do that. In fact, okay. last night, I, it just shows you how committed I am. Yes. Last night, uh, got wrapped up in doing stuff, and it was mm -hmm. like after 9 o'clock, and it was dark. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, I forgot the water. Because, you know, yeah. I try and all water in that, that, like, right at dusk time. Right. So I actually got up 15 minutes early this morning. To do that? At 5.15 instead of 5.30. You're a changed man. So I could run I don't out even there know who you and are water because, I mean, we've been in the 90s and stuff. And I, you know, it's like it's doing oh, it's so well. The last thing I want to do is yeah, kill it. enough you know? water. Yeah. Well, that's great. I, I love yeah. it. I mean, look, think about where this whole started with me just bugging, bugging the yeah, poo out of you. I know. And then it's an enjoyable thing. Like we talked this morning, I get lost in the garden. Not well, physically, dude, you know what? I don't think it's even fair for you to call what you have as a garden. I mean, what do you mean? Not fair. It's the orchards and fields. and I mean, it's just like, oh, you know, it's huge. Dude, and you know what? There's always a bigger one that you aspire to. Honestly, yeah, I mean, I look I at what I have. That. You look at what I have, and I look at what I have, and then I go, oh, but look at what that guy has. Yeah, guy I don't know. Holy yeah, Lord. I don't know how you would do a radio show if you went bigger than what you got now. 
Right. Well, I'd have to do it while in the garden. It'd be a full-time job. Yeah, I know. There's a, there's a point where you just can't. It's too big. But yeah, thankfully, my <laughs> wife, occasionally the kids. I mean, Elijah's off working every day. My daughter, yesterday, she was on a drawing marathon. She just like got back into her creative drawing things. It's like a thing she's doing. You talk about kids, you're like amazed at their talents, like Jonathan Emord's daughter now with the dancing thing. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's cool when you discover these things. You're like, oh, I have no, where did that come from? That's amazing. So uh, love seeing that. Uh, the United States Health Freedom Congress, Minneapolis-St. Paul. I hope y'all can be there September 23rd and 24th. Uh, Wellness, Parenting, Revolution, Health and Freedom Summit and Expo. That's the 7th and 8th or 7th, 8th and 9th in October. Uh, and that'll be in Orlando, Florida. And the Health Freedom Expo, 15th to 16th. And then the following weekend, I'm supposed to be back in the Pittsburgh area. I'm still waiting on a, a flyer for that. I don't know. They're, they're a little slow on that. But and we can add that into the upcoming events. Just thinking right. if there's anything else. But tomorrow night, uh, Health Solutions Symposium is coming. All so. right. And just a reminder, you guys, you know, we put out a daily newsletter every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is just the news of the day having to do with health, health freedom, uh, you know, pandemic baloney that's mm-hmm. going on, the, what the government is doing, trying to, you know, scare us into another uh, situation. Also, health uh, hit, uh, tips and tricks, you know, the latest science. Uh, a poll of the day and uh, anything coming up as far as, you know, events and, and, and things like that. So if, if you want to, you can go over to our website mm-hmm. at robertscottbell.com and over on the right-hand side, there's a button you can click there to subscribe. But the easiest way to do this is if you got your smartphone in your hand is you can simply text the letters RSB mm-hmm. to 22828. It'll ask you for your email address. You send it and you will be like that. You'll be subscribed to our newsletter. Uh, and like I said, that goes out six days a week. I take a break on, on uh, well, actually, five days a week. Yeah. I take a break on the weekend, on Saturday and Sunday, uh, and then get caught up, caught up on what's happening in the news on Monday. So you can sign up for that there. And um, also, you can support us on Patreon. And that is what goes a long way on keeping things going here on the stream and keeping us, keeping us uh, on the air. Mm-hmm. And there's a banner for that over on the on the uh, on the website as well. We do a monthly uh, Ask Me Anything. It's a live uh, two hour plus Q and A session with Robert Scott Bell, where you can ask questions or we can just talk about what you want to talk about. And we've got that coming up uh, this month. Uh, when is it? The twenty sixth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be doing that. We do that every month, and so you can you can sign up over there for as little as four ninety nine a month to uh, help support the Robert Scott Bell Show. Well, and when we do these AMAs, if you can participate, uh, very often those that are at that level are, 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 are actually earning more than they're giving. And well, I'm yeah, because we do giveaways every show. Because there are stuff that we're giving away. Or every and, show, every AMA, we do a giveaway. AMA. In fact, the last one, we gave away a $300 uh, bottle of IGF. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty yeah. amazing. So we try and make it worth your while, more than worth your while. Mm-hmm. And and you, did you get the uh, the Zoom video up from the last? I AMA? did. I got it posted uh, yesterday afternoon. Oh, thank you for that. It got it's so delayed because of Zoom, and it was just like so frustrating. Yeah, uh, but I'm glad that that's up now. For those of you who missed it live, you can enjoy it. It was some, always some good stuff. Uh, great interaction as, that, as far as that goes. All right. Any other questions or comments in the chat room? Maybe next week you guys could do a Taco Tuesday segment where you demonstrate how to make the healthiest tacos with fresh ingredients from your garden. Well, you know what? Listen, I to be fair, mm-hmm. um, we, neither you. Well, I, I'll speak for myself. I'm not a chef. Okay, 
Um, I, I'm I can good pretend. If I, don't, I can dab. If I, I don't burn that. the jello, I'm doing a good job. But uh, I know I, that Pat, our, mm-hmm. our longtime loyal listener, Pat, she has a mm-hmm. cooking show, or she, she used to anyway. Yeah. Um, and she's big on doing the cooking thing, and, and we've teased about having her on the show. I would love and to have her. I on think the we show. should, you know, yeah. because why not? Let's let's mm-hmm. learn how to cook some good organic. You know what? Food, I, right? If if I'm into this place or space, like you talk about cooking, I can get creative. Now I don't know if it'll be good, but I, I've got an intuitive sense of, of 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 doing things with food or cooking things. I don't say I'm really good at it or it's my. But if I'm there and there's that, the moment is just all there for it. I can get into it. I can. I like like oh, I can too. I mean, I like uh, it on occasion yeah, when when yeah. when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but my wife does a much better job. So yeah, I just kind of get out of the way yeah. when I can. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> totally, I get so. it. Anywho, all right. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, again, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, Dr. Ravi Kulasekara giving us an update on Sri Lanka mm-hmm. and um, archery wildcraft. And I'm sure we might talk about more than that with, with Robbie, right? I mean, oh yeah, yeah. No, we well, we can end up going. He knows more than that. He's a na- he's a naturopath, right? He's terrific. Yeah, he's brilliant. He knows so. his stuff. And then uh, Marjorie Wildcraft talking about how to grow your own food, become self sufficient. Uh, we'll be doing that tomorrow, and one yep. other things in the news of the day. Yep. Thanks again to uh, Jonathan E. Morton and Dr. Simone Gold for uh, uh, joining us today, Sacred Fire of Liberty, and. Uh, Simone's doing some good work before she has to head out 60 days in the proverbial pokey to write a book, as we say. That's right. Yeah, uh, that'll be good. So thanks, y'all, for being here. God willing, we'll see you less than 22 hours from now. 